This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Ilan Kazan, CEO of Exceed AI. We learned a lot and the biggest thing, the biggest change is we know very well who is not our customers. So we have product market fit. We know that we solve a real problem. We know who should sell to, but we don't think we really figured out to go to market fit. Like the go to market fit is what is the balance between product sales and marketing to help us sell the product. And I would say to you another way of looking at it, that a good go to market is not, is if you understand how your customers buy, your go-to-market has to fit that customer, the way they buy and not the way you sell. This is Elon. He's an accomplished product leader with proven success in driving products, user experience, strategy and execution, and building products that users and enterprises love, such as WebEx. He has deep expertise in mobile, web and application software and SaaS products, and built an 18-year career in general management and product management for leading global technology companies, including Cisco, WebEx, Comet, and others. Elon has been earlier on my podcast. Our first interview was back in February 2019. Lots have happened since, and that triggered me to invite him back to my podcast. I wanted to hear his story about how the market has changed, how he orchestrated his organization for growth, and what he changed to survive the pandemic and what lessons he learned in the process. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, how to move from product market fit to go to market fit. Secondly, why it is liberating to say no to prospects. Thirdly, that products not only need to do functionally what it says it does, more importantly, it needs to do it in a way it delights customers. Well, hi, Elon. Thank you for being a guest on my podcast again. Hi, thank you very much. Good to be here again. It's been a while since we spoke. Yeah, exactly. I think it was during the first year of podcasts that I did. And I had a number of podcasts in the arena of marketing automation. And that's where Exceed, your company, is. it was one of them. But we got in touch again and around a couple of topics. And that's where we decided to sort of a, a wrap up about what happened since. And in particular, of course, also like, how is this whole world where you are a specialist in the marketing automation space, how has it changed also because of the pandemic we're currently in? 
let's get kick off with that. Maybe a little refreshment for everybody about like what is the big idea behind Exceed? Right. So we are building the next generation marketing automation tool. We like calling it a conversational marketing automation platform that in essence replaces forms with chat and replaces the traditional one-way email communication with two-way email conversations. So think of it like conversational engagement. And the premise is that just by pushing information into people, it's kind of the old way of doing things. And imagine that as a marketer, you can have a conversation with every lead, whether it's on your website or maybe over email after they're already signed up for your service yeah. or signed up to get information. And instead of guessing where they are in the process, imagine you can ask them, where are you in the process? What information do you need? When is a good time to talk? And based on that, tailor the rest of your conversation. And of yeah. course, when we do identify that the lead is ready to talk to a rep, then also go ahead and introduce them to a human go ahead and schedule a meeting. Yeah, exactly. That reminds me again of the discussion we had back then. Well, I mean, one and a half year in this landscape is a long time. So what are, to your, to your belief, what are the one or two things that have really changed in this period, technology-wise? All right, so I'll talk about the market first and foremost. So first yeah. of all, we have the elephant in the room is coronavirus, right, which completely exactly. reshuffled the, the world economy and how people buy and how people sell and there was an immediate impact from the corona that, you know, budgets were frozen and people delayed decisions. But I think people are now starting to get used to the new norm and things are starting to come back and we are seeing it as well. So that's the big thing. The other thing that I think uh, is changing, that we are seeing consolidation in the space that is accelerating. You have new players that are emerging that are becoming the new platforms. So companies such as SalesLoft and Outreach Gong.io and Chorus, uh, Demandbase and Sixth Sense, which are not CRM, at least did not start that way, but they are becoming the new marketing automation or the new CRM players of the world. And they're doing it by creating, they found one specific problem they're solving for the problem. They created amazing user experiences. And by driving adoption, they start collecting information about prospects and customers, and then they are slowly becoming the next generation CRM. So I expect, yeah, just to finish my point, I expect to see more consolidation and I'm going to see a lot of those companies raise a lot of money because they are de facto becoming the new platform. They are going to go public and then you are going to see some, you're going to see them do some acquisitions in the space. Interesting. I mean, you didn't talk, for example, you didn't mention companies like Salesforce. How do you believe that these platforms that you're talking about are going to be different, better, growing, higher adoption rates than the, than the established base, so to say. Right. So I know Salesforce might not like what I'm going to say now, but yeah, they are the leader. They have probably the best CRM right now in the world. They have tons of features, functions, everything. But I wouldn't consider them to be a leader in terms of innovation, speed of innovation, and thought leadership. They are the market leader. You know, they are the new IBM of the world, you know, in the past mm -hmm. you used to say don't fire anybody for buying IBM. You don't fire anybody for buying Salesforce. But in the long run, I think that one of those new players are going to start slowly moving into their space. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's a process. And like every big monster, most likely they're going to purchase <laughs> the competition. 
So that's, that will not surprise me. Yeah. What do you believe is the fundamental difference between CRM as we have, well, got to know about it in the last, well, have you grown to know about it in the last 20 years and the new generation of it? What is the big right. mind shift here? Right. So first of all, I think that when I talked about consolidation, I think there's also consolidation in how you view the whole funnel. Uh-huh. And when I look at the funnel, the sales funnel, I don't see it as a marketing automation for marketing and the CRM for salespeople. I see it as one funnel that starts from awareness, consideration, decision, qualification, the whole process until you close the deal and upsell. And you cannot ignore it, and therefore you need one system that looks at it from start to end. Now, traditionally, a lot of those systems were a system of record, just to track and manage information. Then you came marketing automation that helped you with some of the engagement, but it was really the old school type of engagement, which is you know, sending emails and maybe providing some forms and tracking some usage. And now what you start seeing is companies are coming and starting to add even more value on top of that, which is things like what Exceed is doing, two-way email communication, chat on the website, like us and Drift, analytics to really give you some real insight, not just to track, but actually help you understand not only what's happening with your prospects, but also help you understand what's happening with how you operate or how your salespeople are doing. So what Gong is doing, they're not giving you so much information about your prospects they're giving you more information about how you're performing compared to your prospects are you talking to them correctly are you running your sales calls right are you sending the best emails possible okay so now you're starting to empower the users of those systems versus the old school which was empowering the managers <laughs> of sure. the reps of people very strong point it's becoming much more prescriptive because of the data that's there and i, I agree with you with companies like gong yeah. what they're doing and the enormous in, in information they have about sort of the, the best well, the best way to do things and how to align your organization around that. Right. And I agree with you as well. The manager to user approach or shift is definitely one that is that I also see as well from the work that I do and the podcast episodes that I've recorded in the meantime. So talking about this consolidation space and, and creating all those the platforms that are coming out. So what does that mean to a company like Exceed? Well, we fall in under that trend that we are empowering people yeah. to do a better job by working alongside humans. So our robots are not replacing humans. We're actually empowering them by offload the manual repetitive non-strategic tasks of communicating with leads. And we know when is the right time to get the human involved. So in essence, I'm taking all the stuff that humans hate doing and robots are good at, and knowing when to get a human involved because there's things that only human can, only humans can do, like yeah. feeling empathy, understanding nuance, being creative, having relationships, and having a phone call. So we actually, the way we look at ourselves is we are empowering, empowering users not to deal with uh, mundane, non-strategic stuff. We're saving them time, and we're also giving them analytics in terms of what type of communications are working or what's not working, and mainly in text communication, how much of their leads are interested, not interested, interested in the future, and automatically updating the CRM. Let me give you an example. Because we automate the conversations, if somebody, for, if we get a soft bounce that says, hey, Johnny is no longer in the company, talk to that person, a lot of salespeople will just ignore it and you're not, not even bothered to update the CRM. We can automate it and update the CRM. Somebody might reply and say, hey, I'm not the right person for that. Most salespeople will just move on 
we can automatically identify it, update the CRM, and then also give you a report of how many of your leads were interested, not interested, let's a company told you they're not the right person, or maybe interested, but maybe in a later date. So yeah. we have tons of information that are very valuable to information, and we are saving time for reps and marketers. Yeah, that's the big point. And I remember that from our call back then. Yeah. And also the, the, the aspects that I covered actually in my book, The Remarkable Effect, about uh, that specific aspect. So have, yeah. you, have you moved on in the meantime? I mean, how do you see that evolving right now? It's like, is it, I mean, there is, of course, this aspect of taking away repetitive and non-value-adding tasks to actually free up people. Right. And then there's this whole notion of actually using the technology to make people that actually, that, well, that do the work, the salespeople and the performance that they have to deliver to augment them with, well, guidance, steps, information, insights to do what they do even better. Have you moved already in that direction or have you moved so further in that moving, direction? Yeah, so we are moving, we're actually always there in some essence because the way our system is designed is that you can always choose to work in what we call a semi-automated mode, which instead yep. of responding to a lead automatically, it will actually provide a chance for a human to come in and approve or maybe edit it. And some of our customers choose to use this way. But there's still this always set of tasks which nobody wants to approve before. For example, when somebody tells you that it's not a good time and to contact him next month, you might, there's no need for a human to come and say, no problem, I'll contact you then and follow up. But at least some of those more strategic communications or when there is required nuance, we, do, we, we like to think of ourselves as semi-automated. Now, we also have a very robust way of A-B testing responses and type of communications. And what we are, and our AI model actually allows our customers to see one, not only what's working better, but over time we start optimizing and we starting to choose the right response and the right email out of the various choices to send to a prospect to move him down the funnel. Yeah, I see that a lot with, well, from other areas as well. It's, yeah, I mean, at the end where the move, market is moving to much more of an approach whereby you're talking about, yeah, becoming a peer. Technology, I think technology peers. So we talked a little bit about COVID in the beginning. Of course, this pandemic has been going on for a couple of months right now. When we record this podcast, it's earlier, or middle of August, actually. How has that changed? I mean, what have been the biggest changes you've seen demand-wise or priority-wise from your customers? So we have seen demand going up. and More people interested in ways to be more efficient. And some of it is related to the fact that, you know, people had to downsize, but still had to continue to operate the sure. way they did before. So they were just looking for cost savings. That's one part. The other part, I think, is that with less travel and less face-to-face, so more business is moving online. So this is where things like, you know, the chat on the website and inbound leads from digital formats are going up for a lot of our customers. So we're seeing that also impacting it. And I think also people are now, you know, in times of crisis, people always try and find ways to be more efficient in the way they operate. And automation and augmented workforce, which is the future of the workforce, people are looking to see how they can start experimenting or even start using some of those technologies. Because people understand that that is what will give them a competitive advantage in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's also what I've seen. I mean, one of the people that I work with, for example, in my tribe, has also said that given the fact that everything Everyone moves out of the office. In the beginning, for example, a lot of the, or in the beginning, prior to COVID, a lot of the messages were becoming shorter and shorter and shorter, where now, for example, also the long-form content becoming more, is becoming more 
interesting maybe or more demanding because people have more time to to digest that and, and do more of the work themselves because they have to uh, they cannot have these one-to-one meetings anyway the question at the end is like how does technology like yours respond to that and how do you drive those conversations is that a completely dynamic process these days okay so let me i want to say i want to go back a little bit about what we do and a little bit of the things we learned and the things that will provide some background to my answer so when we spoke back in 2018, we just started building the product in the beginning of 2018. Of course, like many times when you start a venture, you discover that what you're trying to build is actually harder than you think because we actually understand uh, emails and are able to respond to them. And in 2019 is when we started selling the product. And let's face it, we were selling a green banana to our customers. And when you buy green bananas, they become yellow at, <laughs> at the kitchen of our customers. Sometimes they turned into black bananas and people could not eat them. And in some cases, they turned to be a nice yellow banana and it tasted fantastic. But that is a year that we learned a lot and we started to understand where Exceed can really help and where Exceed doesn't really add any value. So in 2020, we started selling yellow bananas. But then COVID came. <laughs> Now, one of the things we learned is that we do have value, but I would say it's marginal value and it's hard to justify the cost of Exceed to use Exceed for just spamming people. Exceed is not designed to do cold outreach and automate touches to try and get someone to response. There's plenty of software out there that can just send emails until somebody responds. Why? Because there is targeting, messaging, and deliverability of emails. And that's typically the bottleneck, not how do you respond, respond to the response and how do you qualify people. Yeah, true. Where we see a lot of value is that marketing spend a lot of money to bring a lot of leads to the company. A lead and can cost anywhere from 50 to $200 per lead, but then do a very crappy job in really understanding where they are in the journey and nurturing them properly. And what we provide our customers now is a way to, one, a new way of nurturing our leads. We call it conversational nurturing. So instead of the traditional one way, you can structure your emails to try and drive a conversation. When someone responds, you can then quickly try and figure out if it's a good fit or not and whether you should introduce them to a human. We're providing a new, instead of lead scoring, we like calling it conversational lead scoring. So instead of guessing or where you think somebody's ready or has the right score to send it to a human, don't bother wasting somebody's human's time. Go ahead, reach out to them using a team identify intent, qualify, and then hand them over. And then, of course, we have the usual scheduling of meetings. So the way Exceed works is we're not here to spam anybody. We assume we like companies that already spend money to generate leads but feel they're not doing a good enough job in following up, nurturing them, and making sure that nothing falls between the cracks. And therefore, we are able to not only show them we're able to get more customers from the investments they made, but we're also able to save a lot of money to customers and empower as a salespeople to talk to only leads that are relevant. Yeah, so that's again, where the essence, of course, comes in. Yeah. Right, correct. It's making the, well, qualifications at the end, the very tough one. I mean, recently I had a discussion with the CEO on my tribe and it was exactly about that topic. He said that the win rates that we have is 85%, which of course is nice. Of course, but it also starts, with like, where do you start measuring that? When he was talking about marketing qualified leads, of those leads, he was only scoring 23%. That, that became eventually a deal. But there was a lot of waste in the, in the meantime, or in between. And that could only be solved, well, for him in this case, 
of course. Well, that's what he, that's what the thinking was by just giving people a call and just have a kind of ask a number of questions in order to do further qualification. Which, of course, if you get hundreds of leads a day, which which was the case in his case, that's an enormous yeah waste right. waste of time and money. Right. And so what we it's, it's perfect. You know, I learned uh, the hard way even for our business how important lead qualification is because you can also burn out your salesperson by just having them with people who are kicking tires, just doing some research. Now, it's not always a bad thing, but I like looking at it that the initial engagement, this is the way Exceed comes in, is one, to identify intent, but the second thing is also to, I would say, qualify out, not qualify in. It's very hard to qualify in by email. Okay, sometimes for a lot of products, you actually need to go on the phone. But I always say to our customers, find the one or two questions, hopefully one question you can ask, that if they don't give you the right answer, you know that they're not a good fit. It doesn't mean they are a good fit, but you know they are a bad fit. In our case, we ask one simple question is how many leads, how many inbound leads do you get per month? And we set the threshold, which I think is very low at this point, but we do it on purpose at 100. Anything 100 and below, we typically will tell them, look, we typically work with companies with this volume. Here's our pricing. If you're still interested, let me know. And that proved fantastic because we already know from experience that anybody with such a low volume, most likely he doesn't need exceed. True. Yeah, because that's where the business is still overseeable and you can manage. And that's a very good thing to do. And it's very counterintuitive because that was also exactly the discussion we had. He said, I said, well, a number of things you could do in order to get more qualified leads on your website is to, is to exactly do what you are saying, to explain in the right words who you're not for, you know, without pissing people off or, yeah, becoming not credible by it. You can actually use it to your advantage and be, and be more critical, credible by doing that. And it saves you a lot of time. So it's exactly about those, those key questions. But some, some of the organizations still think, okay, as long as we get the leads in, I look good. So marketing will not like that. And sales will love it. So it's... Yeah, you know, and it seems that the problem with inbound leads is there's so much, you can't really control at the end of the day who comes to your website and puts in his email. No, exactly. You can't control. Anybody can come from, from everywhere in the world and if a student or anybody. And that's a challenge, right? And, and I think that if I ask somebody, if somebody asks a demo, do you show him and they say, absolutely, I know this is an immature company that probably is starving for leads. The right answer is if somebody wants to see a demo, do uh, you show them the right answer is it depends who he is and is he, you know, am I wasting my time or not? True. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that. So how has what happened through COVID made your company stronger? So we're an interesting story because we were in the middle of a raising around and of course the round collapsed because everybody said, I'm out of here. So we had to downsize and cut costs significantly. And also all, a lot of deals in the pipeline just froze. Like people just, it was a time, you know, in times of uncertainty, the first reaction for the first six to maybe two months was nobody buys anything. I mean, we were in procurement with big companies and big deals. It just all froze company wars. We're starting to see this loosening up because people understand that we have to continue business. And then after about two months, things started picking up again and leads started to flow in, even doubled the, the number of leads. But, <laughs> and we were a little bit, we had to downsize some of our headcount, so we're now starting to bring them back. 
The good news, and I can't talk too much about it, is that we're very close in closing around with some invest, some really high-profile investors and angels who believe in what we do and understand the value proposition. And my hope is that I'll be able to announce it in a few months. Well, that is good news. Of course, the downsizing is not, but I mean, I think everybody has, every company has dealt with that in some way or form. Yeah. So we're upsizing now. So things are, you know, yeah. we, this thing is coming back. Yeah. So talking about what you've learned in that process, what has changed now in terms of what you were doing before versus what you're going to do after? It's a very good question, but I think that we learned a lot. And the biggest thing, the biggest change is we know very well who is not our customers. And that's number one. So, you know, there's a thing, I don't know if you heard, this thing called go-to-market fit, okay, which means after you have product, we, so we have product market fit. We know that we solve a real problem. We know who should sell to, but we, I don't think we really figured out the go-to-market fit. Like the go-to-market fit is one of the balance between product sales and marketing to help us sell the product. And I'll tell you another way of looking at it, that a good go-to-market is not, is if you understand how your customers buy, your go-to-market has to fit that customer, the way they buy, and not yeah. they buy the way you sell. Let me make a small interruption here. Elon just made an excellent remark about how critical it is to have a crystal clear understanding who you're for, and possibly even more important, who you're not for. He found out the hard way that segmentation is not only about demographics, like industry, size, geography. It's crucial to understand how they buy. And that means understanding what they believe, what they care about, what they aspire, i.e. the psychographics. And this is a trait that remarkable software companies master. And doing so allows them to truly hit the right nerve with the right customers. Having meaningful conversations, shortened sales cycles, increased win rates, and last but not least, increased deal value. It's a trait that you can learn as well for your software business. My recommendation would be to start by reading or listening to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And for those of you that want to know how your software business ranks against the 10 traits that define a remarkable software business, simply do the test. You can find it on valueinspiration.com slash remarkableindex. Back to the interview. I think we now understand, one, who we have to sell and who not to, and we understand how they buy. And as a result, what we started introducing as of a month ago is we now offer for qualified customers, we offer them a 30-day free trial. But not to everybody, but to qualified customers, we will give them a free trial, we'll dedicate the customer success with them to help them be successful. Because we are that confident that if they're qualified, the use case is right, we believe that after they use it for 30 days, even though they haven't seen yet the ROI, because we're not going to do integration to the CRM and we're, not, you know, we're just going to keep it limited, they will understand yeah. the value prop and they will continue with us. What has changed then in terms of the fact that you now have such a clear picture about who you're for and maybe even more important, who you're not for? So I think that we're saying no, and it's liberating to say no to prospects and even yeah. no in the initial engagement. Once we still let that, we talk to everybody. But it was okay. We wanted to learn. Now we're saying no. It's, again, no politely, not, you know. <laughs> and then sure. when we talk to customers and it's not a good fit, even if they insist, we say to them no. Yeah. So I've walked away from deals. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. I don't think you're going to, I don't think it's going to be successful. And here's why. And we don't do it often, but we have started doing it now. 
And I think what we have started to see as well is that we're starting to see upsells. We're starting to get now into the one-year renewals. So we're starting to see a lot of renewals coming in, which is a good sign. We did have some churn during the COVID. Some of them were related to just people. The businesses shut down. So so some of our customers, their business went away. Some of them were in like gyms or the travel industry, (laughs) which were affected. So I don't say they churned. Some of them have just suspended the subscription or asked to delay it until their business comes back. So obviously, uh, that I had little control and wasn't always related to Exceed directly. And we also went back and fired a few customers. We said, we don't want to serve you anymore because we think that your demand and you're, you know, you're too difficult for us. And I don't think that you are, you're a good fit for us from in terms of where we're going with the product. And your type of request, I don't think we'll ever be able to meet them. So we fired a few customers as well. These are tough discussions to have, but at the end, critical for the success of your business going forward. Because I, yeah. I, I can agree with you. Having customers that are that bought for the wrong reasons, and I mean, in my previous career, I've, I've seen many of those. Just because it was end of quarter and they got a good deal out of it, a nice discount, doesn't mean that these customers are going to make become an advocate for you. Which at the end is not advocate. Advocates of something, of course, that's a win-win for everybody because the customer is happy and, and, and you just grow beyond that. Yeah, I like what, uh, what you've learned there. And these are very wise lessons to have and to live up to. Yeah, so as so, a company, we are uh, maturing, definitely maturing. That's an important thing. That's yeah, the next big thing to start really scaling the business. Let me see. So in that process, working with the right customers, what have you become most proud of? Is there any anecdotes from the last one and a half years where you say, see, this is exactly why we're doing it and this is why we started the business and why we are... So there's nothing more gratifying than happy customers, right? That's why you, you wake up at work, okay? You want to see customers happy. And there's two indications when you know customers are happy. One, when they renew. That's the ultimate. Yeah, true. But sometimes people don't renew for other reasons, for budget, for politics, champion leaders, all sorts of reasons why people don't renew your software. But the one which I really consider most is when somebody publicly talks about your company, you know, unprovoked, okay? So he comes and he writes something about your company, whether it's on G2 Crowd or maybe even on a LinkedIn post. And we've seen some of those things happening and also some uh, case studies we're starting to publish. So is that what at least motivates me and keeps me going. That's exactly what I mean with, with advocates, people that actually talk about you without being asked, simply because they feel it's important to, that, that others know about the value that's being created. There's music to everybody's ears, of course. So let me see. Since we last talked, and I mean, my book has in the meantime shipped. You're part of it. You're in one of the chapters. I forgot actually which chapter it was, but you're definitely, of course, in there. The book reveals the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. In the past one and a half years, what have you seen as a key trait to do things that, yeah, that make people talk about your product? At the end of the day, products need to not just functionally do what they say they do, but they have to do it in a delightful manner for the users. Yeah. And it, makes, it needs to make the champion or the owner of the product look good inside the company okay so if you can you know what people like products that makes them look good in the company or that it makes them be a better employee so once i heard some lecture where somebody said there are two reasons why people buy software only two reasons it's either 
give them a promotion or that they won't get fired. <laughs> That's really, yeah. really what you buy at the end of it. If you really want to go down to the gut of the gut to gut of the fee of why people buy software. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating that you say that because I completely agree with that. Too often we, and that goes back to this whole thing of like who you're for and who you're not for. Right. Too often people say, well, we are delivering marketing automation software for insurance companies that are between this number of employees and that number of employees. And that's, of course, well, factually true. It's the demographic part of it. But then they forget to talk about the people that actually talk to and how they actually make decisions, which are the psychographic parts. And that's where really the status part comes in. Like people want to look good. They just drive those decisions based on, yeah, the value they can deliver, how it will make them look, all kind of things that have nothing to do with the features of the product or your credentials. Yeah. To round this off, always kind of my last question is like from the lessons that you've learned and the, the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained, if you would have to give advice to people that are in the tech business, aspire to be a CEO or want to scale their business to the next level, what is advice that you very much like to share with them? I think that uh, marketing is something that you need to be thinking from day one, that we live in a world, in a very noisy world, and it's very, very hard to get today to customers because all the robots on LinkedIn and the spam emails that goes out. And to get out your message, you need to think out of the box and you need to be creative. And it's not enough to just have a good story and a good message. It makes things much easier. But you need creative ways to get it out there. And you have to remember that you're always going to be competing with people who have 10 or 20 times more money than you have, at least at the beginning. So for the survival phase of a startup, it's super important to think that way. Of course, every business is different. But what I'm learning how is how important marketing is and how important is to think out of the box and just doing what everybody else does will get you just that far. So you need to do things differently. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can only, yeah, you said it, applaud for that. Particularly the part also that you're competing with, with vendors that are far better known and far more money. And sometimes it even, I've seen the opposite around as well, like that you are the market leader and still, you know, you have, to, you have to kind of work with that mindset because of, for example, the underdogs that are coming in. At the end, it's about solving a customer's problem, being super clear about that, and just following your own path from my perspective, doing things differently like those that are on the beaten path. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Wise advice. So what is next for you? If I talk to you in one and a half year on a podcast at 350, where do you want to be then? Wow. I didn't expect this one. I see our business uh, growing and becoming you know, expand, you know, first of all, we want to be the de facto conversational marketing automation platform. And if I know we achieved our goal, if you're going to see people replacing their existing marketing automation with Succeed Solution. Right now, and this is our position is that we are, you know, we, we position ourselves as complementary to marketing automation. Why? Because it's, we still, you know, we can't do everything that marketing automation can do. And you know, people are not ready to replace our system. But, my goal is that we are going to be the next generation. This is what people are going to do, be using. And that will be the first buy, not the second buy when it comes to marketing automation. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, they always say innovate around the edges. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And possibly it's even a good thing that people don't have to replace their full stack, but can actually add things to it to potentially even shift where, where the real value is coming from. 
So that's a, that's a good position to have, I would say. It takes away a lot of the risk out of a deal. Correct. So if you could ask, I mean, what is your big ask? If anybody in the audience could help you to realize that next, that next step, what could it be? Where could people help you? I can tell you where we need help. I think that we have a very unique story that can be told in different ways. So we're trying to figure out the best way to tell our story. And that's it. I mean, we'd love, you know, anybody who works for a company where have a lot of leads and feel they don't do a good enough job in following up and nurturing and looking for new ways of doing things that will not only yield better results, but also save the company cost. Happy to have a conversation and happy to get your feedback. Okay. Well, then my last question is a very obvious one. Where can people go to find out more about your company and say hi to you? Just go to Exceed AI, sign up, and one of our virtual SDRs will follow up with you and schedule a meeting with me, or me or one of our salespeople. That's, that, I think, the best place to, to read about Exceed. So, yeah, it's using your own software, of course, to give that experience right from the start. Right. And, of course, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn and shoot me a quick message. I eventually, I get back to everybody and I read every message that comes my way. Okay. Well, it was fun talking to you uh, again, Elon. Good luck with the next phase of your company. Glad you survived COVID and that you came stronger out of that. I'm looking forward to another catch-up call with you in about one and a half years' time again. Likewise. Hope I'll have a bigger story to tell and, <laughs> and COVID, would be, COVID will be behind us. Absolutely. A thumbs up for that. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Elon. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor again to speak to Elon Kazan, CEO of Exceed AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.